Today we're going to start a new series called Signs. Um, the, the first half of the Gospel of John has seven miracles, but John doesn't call them miracles. John calls them signs because even though it's a miraculous event, it actually points to something else. And so during this season of Easter, we're, going to, we're not going to be, do all seven of them, but we're going to do a few of these signs and look at what they were and what they point to and what Jesus is telling us through them. And the first one is in the Gospel of John chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour is not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each one holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where he had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And then he called the bridegroom aside and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine. And then after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So uh, the occasion is a wedding. And in New Testament times, those were incredibly festive occasions. People worked hard, they had hard lives. And uh, to take time out and go to a wedding was just an incredible celebration. Sometimes they lasted a week. It was a, a welcome reprieve from the hard work of daily life. And I want you to notice that Jesus was invited to this wedding and he went. <laughs> now this is one of the things that both surprised and angered the religious leaders of Jesus' day is that Jesus just wasn't selective enough in where he went. Uh, you know, they didn't accept every invitation. They wouldn't go to just any wedding. They didn't go to just any party. It, it had to be the right people. It had to be, you know, you, you, you had to have a little, um, uh, be, be a little selective concerning who you hung out with. So they didn't like Jesus because he would just hang out with anybody. Uh, interestingly enough, they didn't like John the Baptist either, but it was for the opposite reason because uh, John didn't go to weddings, John didn't go to parties, John probably didn't get many invitations. Um, but you know, John the Baptist, he didn't drink and he didn't dance and he didn't go to parties and he didn't have any fun. That's how he got the nickname John the Baptist. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. But Jesus was the opposite. He went to every party. He went wherever he was invited. And so they called him, a, they said he was gluttonous and a drunkard and like Garth Brooks had friends in low places. But Jesus went wherever people invited him. And that's one of the things folks loved about Jesus. If the religious folks invited him, Jesus went. 
Those folks who were, were uh, spiritual but not religious invited him, Jesus went. Whoever invited him, he went. And when he got there, um, he, he laughed, he smiled, he honored God with his life. He accepted their invitations and, and then showed them what it meant to follow God in his life. Now, admittedly, uh, this, this is a hard line to walk, but it's one we have to learn to walk if we're gonna be followers of Jesus. Because if we are too much like the culture, if we're just like the culture around us, then we have forfeited our ability to point to who Jesus is. But if we aren't engaged in the culture around us, then how will they ever see who Jesus is? So it's this fine line that we have to learn to walk, but Jesus walked it well. And so by following him, we find this, uh, you know, the example of Jesus is how we find that balance. So Jesus was at this wedding. It was uh, some family friends. And it says everything was going well until they ran out of wine. Now, um, the Hebrew culture is an oriental culture. It's a shame-honor culture. And uh, to run out of wine at the wedding wasn't just, you know, unfortunate that they ran out. It, it was shameful uh, to have a party and not be able to serve everybody, to not be able to finish what you invited people to. It, it was shame on the family. And so it was a really serious kind of thing, much more so than it would be for us. And so Jesus' mother said to him, they have no wine. And some people are a little offended at Jesus' response. Jesus said, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Now, that's not as offensive as it sounds to our ears. Um, you know, there's that tender scene on the cross where Jesus is, is crucified, and he looks at his disciple John, and he says, he, he kind of nods to Mary and says, take her into your home and treat her as your mother. And then he says to Mary, he says, woman, this is your son. And he gives John to her to be treated as a son. And so in that tender moment, he uses this phrase woman. And so it's not as disrespectful as it, as it sounds to us. And, and I can't help but think that it may have also been a part of Jesus trying to help them because he was born into that family, but they would never be just his brothers or sisters or his mother, but he was their savior. So it was a, there's this different kind of relationship that he's trying to help them understand. And the, the phrase that Jesus uses is a Hebrew idiom. It's been translated a lot of different ways. Literally, it means, what is it to me or you? It was a common phrase that people said. Now, my loose translation of the Greek is, mom, not my circus, not my monkeys. <laughs> Does it, not my concern. But then Jesus, uh, he seems to change his mind. Uh, and this happened another time. Uh, his brother said, well, aren't you going to Jerusalem for the Passover feast? The, the, don't you need to go there? And, and Jesus said, no, I'm not gonna go. And then later on, he went. And here in this instance, his mother says, you need to do something about the, you know, they've run out of wine. And Jesus basically says, it's not my problem. And, um, but then he changes his mind. And so I think, I think you see in that, Jesus' struggle, he wasn't going to just do what people told him to do. He wanted to make sure that what he did was what God wanted. And you see that in his life. 
So nearby, there are six stone water pots. They hold 20 to 30 gallons of water each. And they were there, the reason they were there was for uh, ceremonial washing. Um, in those days, people wore sandals, but you know they weren't like the sandals we wear. Uh, sandals were pretty much a piece of leather tied onto the bottom of your foot. So when they got to wherever they were going after walking down a dusty road, their feet were dirty. And so uh, you would take some kind of, um, <clears throat> you know, some kind of bowl or something and dip into this uh, jar of this, these big pots of water and then you would pour it on your feet and you would wash your feet. Uh, the other thing they used them for was there was an actual ritual ceremony that people went through washing their hands to be religiously or ceremonial clean uh, to, to participate in a meal. So that's what the water was there for. And so these big stone jars are there with water in them. And Jesus told the servants to fill the jars with water. And then he told them to draw some of the water out, take it to the head waiter, the master of the banquet, the person who's there in charge of the catering and the wine to make sure everything was taken care of, sort of the you know, first century Martha Stewart kind of guy, and uh, making sure everything was going well. And when he tasted the wine that they had dipped out of those jars of water, he was overwhelmed with the flavor. He swirled it around in his glass, he sniffed it, and he said, this is a nice medium body, <laughs> saucy but racy. There are notes of charred herbs, mocha, pencil shavings, and roasted hazelnut. Or maybe he just said, this is good. <laughs> wow, where did you get this one? This is amazing. He called the bridegroom over. And he said, this is really, this is no two-buck chuck here. Uh, you know, most people serve the good stuff first, and then after everybody's had too much to drink to notice the difference, they bring out the bad stuff. But you brought out the best for last. This wine is wonderful. And it's important to note that this miracle or sign, as John calls it, uh, it wasn't done for everybody to see. I mean, the, the guy who tasted it never even knew where it came from. The only people that knew were Jesus and his disciples and the people who poured the water into the, the, the jars. So it wasn't a public miracle, it was, but it was a sign that was pointing to something else. So what was it pointing to? Well, I'm glad you asked. Some of you are old enough to remember that old television show with Art Linkletter, Kids Say the Darndest Things. Yeah? Well, there, there was a time on that show when um, he asked uh, the kids what was their favorite Bible story. And there was a little girl who said this was her favorite Bible story, the story of Jesus turning the water into wine. And he asked her, what did the story mean? And she said, the story means that if you run out of wine, you better get on your knees and pray. Uh, now, that's not the meaning of the story. Uh, let me tell you what I think it means. You'll notice in chapter 2, the first half of the chapter is the story of Jesus changing water into wine. The second half of chapter 2 is the story of Jesus going into the temple and overturning the tables and cleansing the temple. Now, this has confused some people. Because in every other gospel, 
the story of Jesus cleansing the temple comes at the very end. And it's one of the things that got him crucified. But John puts it in the very beginning. And this has led some people to come up with the idea that maybe Jesus cleansed the temple twice, once at the beginning, once at the end, but for some reason in the beginning, it didn't make anybody mad, they let it go. But I don't believe that. I believe Jesus cleansed the temple one time. It was at the end of his ministry. But John put it here because one of the things you'll notice about John, John is not interested in telling the story of Jesus chronologically. John tells the story of Jesus theologically. And John often puts stories together because they relate to each other, not because that's the order in which they happened. Now in the Gospel of Mark, Mark connects the cleansing of the temple with Jesus walking into town and seeing that fig tree with, with blooms all over it, but there were no figs on it. And Mark is reminding us that when Jesus went to the temple, it was the same thing. There was all this activity going on and it looked really productive, but there was no fruit. And both that fig tree and the temple were dying. Mark wanted us to see that. But John is saying to us that not only is it dying, but God's gonna replace it with something new. It's God's gonna take what was old and, and what was ordinary, what we're used to, and God is gonna replace it with something new and something extraordinary. He takes it a step farther. During the Old Testament, wine was a symbol for joy. I mean, they didn't have options like we have of things to drink. They didn't have Diet Coke. Um, they had milk, but you couldn't refrigerate it. And they had water, and they had wine, and that was it. So all during the day, you drank water. And when you were at work, you drank water. So when you had a meal or a special occasion, you drank wine. Because it was, it was special. And it was a celebration. And uh, it, was, you know, it, was, it was a treat. It was the color. It was the taste. It was a symbol of joy. I mean, wine for them was like confetti or a party hat to us. It was a symbol of joy. It, it meant the occasion was special. And so when Jesus turned water into wine, it was a sign of what he does in our lives. He takes our ordinary lives and he makes them something extraordinary. He brings joy. He brings life as he says in John's gospel, an abundance of life. He came to give us life. We settle so quickly for the ordinary when God wants us to experience the extraordinary. We settle for water when God offers us wine. I think C.S. Lewis understood this when he wrote this, quote, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased, end of quote. We are far too easily pleased. We settle for so much less 
than God wants us to have in our lives. There were 120 to 180 gallons of wine when Jesus finished. That's a lot of wine. That's more wine than they needed. And the sign is pointing that, that when God loves us, God doesn't just reach out to us and with enough for us to scrape by on, but God loves us with abundance, with generosity, with lavishness. And he doesn't give us just enough joy to scrape by on. He gives us an abundance of life, life that overflows. And so at the wedding at Cana, Jesus performed his very first sign and it revealed his glory. He came to replace our ordinary lives with lives that have extraordinary purpose, lives that have extraordinary joy, and lives that have extraordinary meaning. He came to give us life, abundant, joyful, and overflowing. Following Jesus is hard, but on that journey there is joy. God wants us to experience joy. Don't settle for less than God wants for you. Don't be too easily pleased, but pursue the life that God has, abundant and joyful for you. Amen.